Good evening. It's 11.05, and this is Quietly Yours. listening to Quietly Yours, but you already knew that. What you might not know is that tonight's episode is part of a special series called Campfire Tales, which explores folklore and urban legends by placing us right in the middle of a campfire gathering, which is usually the warmest part. Our four friends are going to tell us five stories across five nights, with some listener submissions thrown in for good luck. Yes, that means you're getting five episodes of Quietly Yours this week, but if you're one of our supporters on Patreon, the whole thing is already available for you to listen to right now. This version of Campfire Tales also includes exclusive bonus stories that you can't hear in the standard version. So if you're not yet a supporter, but you want to get your hands on those exclusives, as well as our usual goodies for patrons, you can sign up at patreon.com quietlyyours. But enough of that, let's see what our campers are up to. So there was this house when I was a kid that would freak us all out. It was this run-down old thing. The grass in the front yard was so overgrown you could barely see a thing, and a high fence in the back stopped you from getting a good look inside. Then the gate was locked with what looked like an old padlock from the 1970s or something. You could peek through the cracks, but you'd just catch her sight of a bunch of greenery because everything was so overgrown. All in all, it looked like no one had lived there for decades. But there were people living there. We knew because you could occasionally see one of the lights come on in one of the rooms. Although it was quite rare. You couldn't see inside though when that would happen because they always had their curtains drawn. Whoever lived there, though, I get the feeling they just really didn't want anyone nosying into their business. But you know what kids are like? The moment we realised we shouldn't know something, we wanted to know more. So we used to try and climb the fence to get a good look into the yard, especially in the winter when the nights drew in and we were all allowed out when it was dark and we all wanted a bit of a scare. I climbed up myself, but there wasn't much there as far as I can remember. There was an old shed which quite clearly had plants growing out of the door, so I doubt there was anything important inside. There was some ancient garden furniture too, the kind that's made out of metal and frosted glass, but it was in such a horrendous state. The metal had all rusted and the glass was covered in dirt and leaves. And then I remember vividly this children's bicycle lying in, lying on the overgrown grass. It was red and it had one of those plastic fronts on it which had this decal of a cartoon character. 
I can't even remember what character it was, but what sticks in my mind is how faded it was. It was almost completely washed out after years and years being bleached by the sun. I don't know why that stuck in my mind so clearly. I think it's because it, well, it almost looked like a ghost. Like some kid dropped this bike on that very spot 30 years ago and it doesn't look like anyone's touched it since. There's something spooky about that. But the creepiest part by far was the cellar doors. They were attached to the back of the house, right by the door. It was one of those things with the vertical double doors that opens to a set of stairs down into the cellar. You know the kind I mean. Well, these doors were made of wood and it had clearly seen better days. Its green paint was peeling off. One of the doors had a hole in the corner and the chains that held the doors together were so rusted it was completely bronze. And that's what was so creepy about it. Why did these doors need chaining up? I mean, in hindsight, it's simple enough. They obviously didn't want to leave a door to their property permanently unlocked, and there was no other lock on those doors. But you know, we were like 10 or something, if that, and those were not the kind of logical thoughts going through our heads. Well, anyway, word spread about the chained up old doors, and before we knew it, Everyone seemed to know exactly who lived there and why they were chained up, which I think is a bit suspicious. So, you know, take the story with a pinch of salt, but this is how they say the story goes anyway. The house was supposedly built by a family called the Rickles, who moved in when it was first built in the 1930s. And the Rickles, they liked to keep it in the family. Let's just say they only have to make one trip to visit all their grandparents. Apparently, the main consequence of that was that the kids were... slow. And Mr and Mrs Rickles didn't want anyone to realise that anything was amiss. So they homeschooled the kids. That way they didn't really have to leave the house. Well... Jump ahead 15 years and those kids still don't leave the house and they're busy having their own kids who don't leave the house and another 20 years later, well, you get the point. There were supposedly as many as two dozen of them at one time and by that point, they weren't leaving the house at all apart from the elderly Mr and Mrs Rickles who would reluctantly leave as infrequently as they could in order to bring back food and supplies. But those supplies, they weren't enough. There were a lot of mouths to feed in this house and eventually they started sneaking out of the house to feed themselves. And so kids, small kids, would sneak out of the cellar where they slept and start rummaging through the neighbors' bins looking for any scraps to feed off of. When Mr and Mrs Rickles found out about this, they were terrified that someone would find one of the kids, so they padlocked the cellar door closed, boarded up the windows and kept the front and back doors locked. No one could come in or go out without their knowledge. That had a downside though, 
because Mr. and Mrs. Rickles weren't exactly immortal. Supposedly, they both died at some point in the, in the 80s, leaving the entire horde of inbred little brats trapped inside the house forever. And it's not as though they were smart enough to find a way out. They were completely wild, feral, so they just had to survive on whatever food they could find and started with Mr. and Mrs. Rickles. So back to present day, present day when I was 10 at least, and that's where we are. They say that the Rickles are still trapped in the house to this very day, surviving off what little meat they can get from the rats and eating insects and basically anything they come across, including themselves when one of them dies. And they continued reproducing among themselves, so there were always a new generation growing up in the Rickles' house. They always said that the only Rickles who could get out of the house were the babies, because they were the only ones small enough to squeeze through the hole in the broken door. I mean, I know now no baby would ever fit through that thing, but I clearly wasn't a smart child because I believed it 100%. They said that the family would train the babies to find food, and then they would shove them through the hole and wait for them to come back with scraps. Imagine how scary that is in the mind of a child. The image of these starving, feral, inbred babies squeezing out of the hole in the cellar door and crawling around the neighborhood, crawling into bins, looking for their next meal. Even now, the idea freaks me out a little. Well, anyway, the main point of the story, the bit that actually happened to me, we were nosing about again, as always, peering over the fence and seeing if we could catch sight of anything scary. But we didn't, and that left us kind of bored. We wanted more. That's when my friends dared me to climb over the fence and into the backyard, walk over to the cellar door and peer inside. I should have said no, of course, but I didn't want to look like a coward, even though I totally was, so I agreed to do it. I climbed over and dropped down into the garden. It didn't look real close up, I felt like I'd stepped into a film set. It was still creepy though. I made my way over to the cellar door and then... Then what? Then something shuffled in a bush behind me and I nearly crapped myself. I genuinely thought I was about to be cannibalized by a little inbred baby. I nearly leapt out of my skin. Thankfully though, it was just a cat. So I turned my attention back to the cellar. I moved closer, got down on my knees and peered through one of the holes into the darkness beneath. It took my eyes a moment to adjust. Then what? Did you see the Rickles? No. No, I didn't. At least not as I know them. I saw... Well, the room wasn't completely dark. It was lit by candlelight. A bunch of candles, actually, arranged in a circle and stood around them were five or six tall people in black robes, hoods pulled over their heads. They were making this sort of whispering noise with their heads lowered, all facing the centre of this circle of candles, where a naked woman sat, her head also lowered, completely still and unmoving. 
Jesus Christ. What did you do? I ran away faster than I've ever run before. I grabbed my friends and told them we had to go, and I refused to tell them anything until we were back inside one of our houses with all the lights on. And then once I'd calmed down, I didn't really know what to say or how to explain that, so I just told them that I'd seen a Rickle baby crawling around with a rat tail hanging out of its mouth. I don't know if they believed me, but I mean, the truth isn't much easier to believe, to be honest. That image still haunts me to this day. Did you ever go to the police or anything? No, that never even occurred to me. To be honest, I've never really told anyone before. I've spent a good amount of time actively trying to forget the Rickles house. Well, I don't think I'm going to be forgetting it anytime soon. I'm going to be checking under my bed every night to make sure there's no little Rickle babies under there. And on that note, I think the fire is dying out. Oh, yeah, it's getting quite late. I should be heading to bed. Yeah, me too. Right, you coming, Karen? No, I think I'm going to stay out here and watch the stars for a bit. Freak. Hey, me. Oh, whatever. Is, is that a wolf? Probably. Okay, never mind. I'm coming. No offence, but if a pack of wolves comes and attacks, I don't think our tents will protect us. You're not helping. See you guys tomorrow. Yeah, night. See you tomorrow. If we're not eaten. With all due respect, Jim, shut up. Noted. Our camping trip comes to an end, and we're all still in one piece, at least for the time being. We'd love to know what you thought of this little series of specials, what you liked, what you didn't like, should we do it again next year? Let us know. You can get in touch via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or Tumblr. Our handle everywhere is quietlypodcast. You can also reach us at quietlyyours at daffodillies.co.uk. And our website, as always, is daffodillies.co.uk slash quietly yours. Remember, the full version of Campfire Tales is available only to our Patreon supporters. We're lucky to have them, and I hope this special is a worthy thank you. If you want to join them and hear some extra stories, as well as the usual goodies that we have for patrons, you can sign up at patreon.com slash quietly yours. An extra thank you to James for sending in his story. I know that his podcast, Breaking Walls, also has a Patreon page, so if you go ahead and give those a listen and you enjoy them, consider donating to them too. Well, that's all for now. I'm thoroughly spooked, and I hope you are too. So, until next time, I am quietly yours, and you are quietly mine.